We're also not teaching about pleasure. We're not teaching vulva owners to take a mirror between their legs and take a look at their vulva so they understand how to give themselves an orgasm, what feels good to them. So they can, when they're with a partner, they can explain it. But right now they're not, they're not feeling equipped. They're just hearing like, that's a bad thing to do. And so now I'm not gonna do it. But if we could lace all these conversations with the conversation about pleasure and being our own best advocates, you know, for our own pleasure and our own needs, then I think that we might see people starting to have sex and have these conversations, but you know, we're not there yet. Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better. How about you? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have sex therapist Emily Morris from Sex with Emily joining us. Hi, Emily. Welcome. Hi. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm thank you for coming. I was just saying to Emily before we started recording that I've been wanting her on this podcast for it'll be like almost be three years. So you're hard well, to get, girl. Is that the key? It's been busy. Exactly right. Be a play hard to get all the time. No, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I just, really? I have so many questions. Um, I had 25 questions ready. And then I was like, okay, I've got to narrow this down or we'll be here all day. I was listening to one of your episodes last night and you mentioned that you became a sex therapist because you yourself weren't having great sex and you started asking questions and you realized no one knew the answers. Is that right? That is so right. That was a hundred percent what happened. Yeah. I was feeling, I was having sex. I was a sexual person. I, I enjoyed sex and I just felt though, how come no one talks about this? And how come like, and I also am a bit of an overachiever. So I, I used to think like, is everyone else having better sex than I am? Because you talk to people, they'd be like, oh my God, last night was amazing. Last night was the best sex ever. And I was like, what? And I used to always ask people just intuitively and instinctively, what does that mean to you? What does great sex mean? Could you please tell me, did it mean that you had 16 orgasms? You know, was his penis double jointed? Were you swinging from these rafters? Like what, like what exactly happened that made you think it was great? Cause I want to know how do you measure that? Right. And that was just the initial thing that there really wasn't information. People weren't talking about it. And I just thought that sex, if sex could be better, how amazing, like, let me find out. And then I, when I started asking people these questions, I realized there wasn't, no one was really an expert. No one was talking about it. And there wasn't places to go for information. And this was, yeah, like 17 years ago. So now it's changed, thank God, but it was, yeah. You went, so did you, you went to school then after that? After that. So I started out just, I was a documentary filmmaker and I'd worked mm-hmm. in politics. Those were my first careers. and Perfect exactly. pregame to becoming a sex therapist. Exactly, right? Like, <laughs> no, but- uh, yeah, well, exactly. Like I, uh, politics, they say makes strange bedfellows, right? Like there's, there's, <laughs> there are, there's, there are some parallels there, but I, but I feel like I, um, yeah, so I've got to start doing the show. And then I realized I was so deeply passionate about, 
you know, helping people too. And I feel like people had so many questions and I thought, well, I want to be the one to be able to, I mean, I'm learning along with everybody. I'd read hundreds of books and I, at that time I'd been doing shows for three years and I thought I really want to become the expert. So I am qualified. I went back to grad school and I got my, for four years and got my doctorate in human sexuality while still doing the podcast the whole time. Wow. That's great though, because you're learning so much. I learned so much, but like on the streets. Mm -hmm. And I'm never learning. I'm never learning. I'm always learning. You're never done learning is what I want to say. And I actually think that's true for most professions is that you're really never done. But with human sexuality in particular, it is such a new field of study and research and science. If you think about it, like it wasn't until, you know, 60 years ago with Kinsey Institute in, in the fifties, late fifties, talking about human sexuality. Is but that even when that started, that's when that started. And so, so, and if you think about like even women, you know, if you think about like the seventies, right. When the birth control pill came out, like, I guess that was more like the sixties, but what I'm saying like the evolution of human sexuality and the way we've talked about it is still very new. And in fact, a lot of the research that has been done on sexuality has been done on men. And it's been, yes. we, we spent a lot of time studying the penis, but not the vulva or the clitoris. And so only and, and the clitoris was not even documented until 1998 in medical journals. So there's just all these ways that I'm still always learning too, you know, as far as like, you know, anatomy and biology. And I just want people to understand like, it's okay. Like, welcome to the party. Like, let's figure it out. You know, let, let's, it's never too late to start learning about sex because it's, you, you didn't have to know. No one had sex education in schools, right? And so many people did. And if they did, it was like one day and it was like, don't get pregnant. Don't get an STD. Have a nice I just remember watching some weird video and like that I went to a religious school that I was thrown out of. But that it's crazy <laughs> right. that you say about the clitoris because I interviewed Chelsea Leland, who started that company Looney, which is all about teaching women about menstruation and how we there's no research done on like if you have endometriosis or pain with sex or PCOS. I think hope that's the right yeah. yes PCOS. And I learned how that wasn't even a thing till 1998. The clitoris, which is yeah. so insane. I'm from a oh, family insane. of gynecologists, so we've grown up always talking about sex, always being very open with our bodies. Good, you're fortunate. I also was raised Catholic, so I have this like guilt. <laughs> and right. I, you know, I, I, the, one of your shows, someone called in and they were like, I'm not sure how to masturbate me. I was like, tap me in girl. I can <laughs> give you some pointers. But anyway, I just find that all this stuff fascinating because also that the clitoris is the only thing on a human body that is just for pleasure. Just for right? pleasure. That's it. That's it's the so only awesome. organ in the human body that was only for pleasure. And the reason why I bring up the clitoris is so top of mind is because we've always said it has 8,000 nerve endings. Like that's what I was taught in school. That's what everyone says. Well, the clitoris is 8,000 nerve endings. And it, the only reason it exists is for pleasure. It's for female pleasure. How amazing is that? And all these things. You know that, that it was 8,000. Right. 8,000, but here's the thing. But okay, but want to know what happened three weeks ago? Three weeks ago, there was some new research that came out that said there's actually 10,000 nerve endings, maybe 12,000. How so, did they find that out? Can we, you know get, what? There can was we a, get in this trial? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> no, there was a board of doctors that came together and they did you know, a few years of research on, on different bodies and just sort of figured it out, like came to this new conclusion, which- which is incredible. And and so what I'm saying is that there, there just hasn't been as much interest in funding. And so, but again, I, I see the tides are turning. There's more products for women, like that there's even period tracker apps, you know, that yeah. there's like subscriptions to get your, to get your, you know, medication filled or your birth control pill or your, your pads, your period, your, uh, ta right. your tampons, all the things. So, um, and sex toys and lubes, and there's just, it's, it's really growing a lot, especially in the last four years, which is exciting. Yeah. So why is a healthy sex life 
important for your mental well-being? It's a great question. I think that first we, our sex life, our sexual health and our mental health and our physical health are all under the health umbrella. And there's something about sex, sexual health that we always think it's sort of a, a separate thing. Like it's just sort of be this magical thing that we shouldn't really talk about, but it should always feel amazing. And you should always feel connected to your partner. Um, but the truth is, you know, sexual health is so deeply connected. And then when there's problems with our sexual health, we can't orgasm. We don't feel desire. We don't feel drive. We don't love our bodies. We don't feel confidence in the bedroom. All of those challenges that people have around their sexuality is going to impact our mental health. And, and it might be because of our physical health that we're having challenges in our sex life. Mm -hmm. For example, if we're on a certain medication, if we um, have a certain injury, if we are depressed or we're anxious or all the things that could happen, that's going to impact our sex life. So it's all, it's just all connected. And I think that that's really a lot about my work. I actually have a book coming out next year that sort of oh. ties all these things together. Yeah, yeah, it's coming out in June, but it's all about sexual intelligence. Like how do we, it's not just one thing, because I think the thing with, with sex, the reason why they, they're. To, to answer this is like they, I think people want a quick fix. Yeah. Like I'm not turned on. I'm not attracted to my partner and I can't have an orgasm. What do I do? They're like, buy this toy, wear this piece of lingerie, right. talk, have a conversation with your partner. All those things might help. But for everybody who can't have an orgasm, I'm just going off the most common question I get asked from vulva owners. There's a, there's a, there's so many reasons why, like for one person, you might not have an orgasm because you're on a medication that's preventing you from an orgasm. For somebody else, they might've had trauma. And so all of their sexual sexual experiences are associated with trauma. And for somebody else, they might have major resentments with their partner and not trust them. And so they just stopped having orgasms. The other person has a really bad diet and nutrition and they don't exercise and move their bodies. So they're having blood flow problems mm. and they're not confident in their bodies. So so I think that, that but, but the problem is since we were just discovering the clitoris, we're also just discovering how to even talk about sex and feel comfortable. Most doctors, Western medicine doctors are not really prepared to talk, to address these issues about people's sexual health and wellness. So what I'm saying is not that commonly known how it's all connected and interrelated. Yeah, no, it's, I used to get the worst, what I thought were UTIs after sex. Now, I, mean, I never had pain during sex, but the next day I would just horrible UTIs. And my uncle actually would always just prescribe me medicine. At one point he was like, you need to go see someone. Like this is not a UTI, something's going on. And then I was misdiagnosed with interstitial cystitis which like then led this whole downward path where long story short, it ended up, I just, not to brag, had a really <laughs> tight pelvic floor. Oh. Like I was just so like holding all this tension. So like, if you think of a tight muscle and someone's just like pounding against it, yes. like running really hard, the next day your muscle's gonna be really sore. Yeah. So I found this amazing pelvic floor therapist that I'll share with you, you know, or send to you for all your listeners. And, um, it, it changed my life. Like I just started using vaginal Valium, mm -hmm. which I didn't even know existed. And I, I mean, well, all my family vaginal Valium, like, we back up, we'd be like a pill. Like it's, it's, something no, it's a suppository. Oh, okay. So, you know, cause the, the vagina is a muscle. So it would relax. It relaxes it. So meanwhile, every family member of my men were like, can you send this to me for my wife? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, because it's also genetic, right? It's right here, but you might be clenching. So what you're saying is that you had pain perhaps after. every time. Oh, after, okay. After was after. weird because that's why I think I, and then I would think it's not from sex because it, does, it doesn't hurt. You know, cause like you're saying, people are not informed. 
And so even my gynecologist was just like, oh, this is interstitial society, you know, or, oh, this is that. Then I would yeah. go to a, you, this, you, uh, you, uh, urologist and she gave me Botox in my vagina. And all my no. girlfriends were like, great, your vagina will be really young. <laughs> right. um, so if you can imagine it's something so fucking painful as a, wow. like a needle this big, but it would relax the muscles. So I've gone down this whole pathway. Oh my gosh. Of like, yeah. That's a but lot. I, but I'm the, one of these people that I get so obsessed with me. I want to find the answer. And I feel for people that maybe don't have the economic resources to do that. Don't have the time. And, you know, we're lucky in LA where we have such a great sort of, you know, chest full of great doctors or different, mm -hmm. not even a doctor, a different person. Like Pelvic floor physical healer, therapist. Pelvic floor physical therapist. So I it's love that been you a found long that. road. Wow. It, good for you though. Because yeah. I'm saying, I'm so glad that you found help because actually I'm glad you're, I'm really glad you brought this up because one of the biggest challenges too for women is, is having pain. And in Absolutely. fact, 80% 80 of women have pain during sex at yes. some point in their life. And for some of these women, they have it every single time. Some women but think they that's suffer. just how sex is. Exactly. I had a girlfriend of mine that was like, oh no, I thought that she suffered from endometriosis for like 20 years until she had kids. Cause sometimes that can help for some reason. I don't know, clear it. Yes. If you deliver vaginally. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. Like we just all think like grin and bear it. Like I even <laughs> have my, my, I'll just be like, well, you know, sometimes sex hurts. And of course, yes, some positions hurt, but like- They do, but they don't know. Yeah. They don't know. It doesn't like, have to hurt. Doesn't Women have to. don't- It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to hurt. You don't have to hurt during right. sex. That is not, that is not a, a prerequisite for having sex. And so, and, and the amazing thing too, is that pelvic floor physical therapy was something I didn't even really know about until like five years ago. I was like, Oh, yeah. like and now there, it's emerging. There's so many other people doing it, but for, for many women who have pain after sex or pain before sex, like a lot of women have, what am I saying? Vaginismus or they have, um, vulvatitis or whatever. Um, vulvodynia. They have, vulvodynia, yeah. There's a several things that they could have, and it either hurts in the vaginal opening or when they have insertion into their penis, into their into their vagina. So there's a lot of women who have pain upon anything, like a tampon goes inside of them yeah. or a finger or a penis. And so, and they just assume like there's something wrong with them and they, they shy away from sex, but going to a uh, pelvic floor physical therapist, just literally for a few months, they could use dilators that help them expand and relax this the muscles woman, and the nerves. She changed my life because she said to me, you know, you don't have IC interstitial societies. Like if you did, you'd be peeing all day. You know, we just went through the, what the symptoms were. And she's like, I think it's just learning how to relax that muscle. Like the last thing you need should be doing are Kegels. And all my girlfriends that have had babies are like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, everyone has a different thing. Meanwhile, exactly. I'm like, honestly, you guys, like it, it can be like too much where I would be in so much pain the next day that it, it wouldn't, yeah. it, it would interfere with the relationship. And I had, I had this urologist who told me the worst thing is a super wet vagina and a big penis. Me mom, like, welcome to my life. Great. Like, <laughs> what? like, isn't that awful to say that? Because it know. can be so painful too, if you're really wet and then it slides and you say, because she was saying, because if you have like any kind of bacteria or let's say there's something else going on and it kind of moves everything around, this is like mm -hmm. when it was missed, but again, if it was someone who maybe wasn't as educated as I am in that area, I would maybe be like, oh, okay. Where I just was like, what? Like I call my cousin and he's like the gay male version of me. And he was like, oh, hell no. He's like, this is the worst advice I've ever heard. I was like, I know we got to just figure it out. Like 
So, There's so much misinformation out there because a lot yes. of times too, like, yeah, a penis could be too big and then it could cause tears. Because if there's tears, oh, yes. there's bacteria. So we like then these little micro tears. You're like, oh, I just want a big penis, or that's I wish I had a big penis. And then you get micro tears. Then micro tears, you get a bacterial infection. And you could get you know all these other infections. Yes. STIs are more easily transmissible. So we just it's just if we could just give people this information. But the problem is, it's out. You know, only like 17 states require sex ed to be medically accurate if they have it at all. And then otherwise, if you are don't you have serious? sex ed, yeah. Only 17 states in America. It used to be 13. I think it went up to 17. But then we <gasps> see what happened with like Roe v. Wade. And now there's a lot of states that you can't, ha- you you know, yeah, you can't teach sex ed and you can't get an abortion. And so, yeah, so it's dire. And then you have to really like Google it and, you know, and everyone's Googling their sex questions. And then they just, it's really there's hard to get really specific information. information. A lot of wrong information. So is that the number one question you get from Volvo owners? How, how do I have an orgasm? I would say the top question is, I would say that's one of three is, well, how do I have one or why can't I have one during intercourse? I would say that's still, and here's the frustrating thing. This is what keeps me going and wakes me up, gets wakes me up and gets me going every day is that after years of doing this, almost two decades, the fact that that's still the same question is just sort of upsetting because we just still feel like there's something. And also that's one of the reasons I started because I wasn't having orgasms during penetration. And I thought for sure that that I was broken because everybody else was. So the truth is only 20% of women can have orgasms during penetration. I think those people were lying to you because I I have only a few girlfriends, maybe just one or two I can think of who can have it easily during intercourse. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, I, I, it's but, less than that. It could be 17%. <laughs> it could be a lot, but, but here's all the women who write. So that's why we fake it. That's why we, um, that's why we, you know, feel bad and inferior right. because all we see in television is like this amazing orgasm happening within three to five minutes with a penis. But the yeah. truth, the only, the, mo- the way that vulva honors are predictably going to orgasm is with the mouth, with finger, with toys. Like yes. that's, that's it. And, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen with a penis. If it does, that's amazing. But usually if it, and if it does, it's because you've had a lot of stimulation, you've had clitoral stimulation. And for right. the women that do, it means that their clitoris is closer to the vaginal opening, which means right. that it really, if you're the closer your clitoris is to the vaginal opening, if a penis goes inside you, it means that all those nerve endings are kind of getting taken along with you, if you will, because it's closer. So the penis goes inside, they're sort of like because there's internal clitoral nerve endings, you're going to be more likely to orgasm, but it's really still about the clitoris and um, less about anything else. It's more about your anatomy and your genetics. It's like luck. Why is it that like, sometimes you can have the best sex with someone that you hate (laughs) or that is really not good for you? This was, this was my experience where it's just like, I mean, it's an, is it just anatomy you think fitting, you know, how some people's anatomy just fits well, right? Yeah, or is that, it just that your could be inhibitions it. because you know, this won't work out. It dep- it's all those things. So when we're talking about sexual intelligence. Therapy in exactly. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for you. you know, I think it's a lot of things. It could be because it just physically felt great and you fit. That is true. Like right. we, we know what it's like to just fit with somebody, right? Everything just sort of works. That's part of it, but it could be because yeah, emotionally they're not available. And since they're not available to you, it still keeps your adrenaline, your dopamine going because it's something that you can't quite nail down. And that stimulates mm-hmm. arousal, right? This sort of thrill of the chase and not knowing and being uncertain keeps us on our toes.
toes, which in result is going to uh, stimulate um, blood flow and get us excited. And so it's all like physiology. It's our biology. It's our mental state. It's how we think about things, how we feel about things. And yes, sometimes it is anatomy and just the way it fits. It's a whole cocktail of reasons why we have that great connection with somebody and not with someone else. But I'm also going to tell you this, that I hear from this all the time, like I let this one get away or maybe I should be with them because we had great sex. And I think we have to look at that person and say, thank you. And then look at like, what did I learn from it? What was so great about it? And then we get to kind of go like hack that and say like, well, what was it? Okay. Well, I like the thrill of not knowing when I was seeing them. And yes, I like the way they touched me, like the way they kissed me. I like the way we felt together that it was always a surprise. We take those, that information, and then we become knowledgeable about ourselves. We say, okay, well, here's some information that I can use and kind of when I'm looking for a new partner or something that I want to bring into my relationship with my current partner. And then I'm going to start to see like, what can I do? Like what elements from that toxic, not healthy relationship <laughs> What have I learned about myself? And then how can I bring that into a new relationship, like minus the toxic part of it? Like, because when you break it down to its core, you'll find that there's some common themes and it probably wasn't just with this lover. You might've felt with other lovers. And so we just kind of have to piece it together. And then in our, in our, no, current, I mean, that's a good point. Like makes- some people, like, I think I need a lot of physical action. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of someone that's taking control that's, and it's, And if I think of all the times, like there were certain things that you could do again with someone else, like you were talking about um, hotel sex or how there's certain situations where it's just something like with the, the, what was it? The dad edge. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, we're just like stuff like that. There's a reason why there's just something sexy about a hotel and like the perfect bed and you're going to mess it up. And so, okay. You could do that with anyone really. Right. Anyone. Yeah. You could go have hotel sex pretty much with anyone. It'll probably be a lot better than the sex you're having right now because you're not looking at your same pile of laundry. This right. isn't the bed that you've had sex in a hundred times. Yeah. You're not hearing the kids. It's like, yeah, it's different. It's novelty. The three things that we crave to keep sex really hot is like something novel, something new, something exciting, especially in long-term relationships. Um, some variety. Right. So I guess novel and variety are pretty similar, but are you varying it from time to time? And it's something spontaneous. Whenever I've asked people, you know, what is the most like memorable time you've had sex? I think we've done segments or we've asked listeners and all the things. And typically when I read that, I remember once, I think it was a contest we did. We got like hundreds of emails from people. I was like, what's the best sex you've ever had? Yeah. And in reading those, it was always an unknown, like I met this person on a train or we didn't think it was going to happen, but it did happen or you, they just met them or it was early on and it was just unexpected, unknown. So something that's spontaneous, but it's again, that's like our adrenaline's going, our dope, it's it's exciting. And we're literally having a physiological, you know, hormonal like response to something that is just new and known. And then when you're conversely, when you are with the same person in the same bed, doing the same things over and over again, it just sort of becomes dull and you don't have as many of the other factors that are really important for arousal, attraction, orgasm. That's a really good point. The excitement, the unknown. And I mean, I would think that's really hard to keep in a long, long term relationship. That's, that's why you have to kind of like do those things. That's the work. That's why you have to like have weekends away planned. Download. I have this yes, no, maybe list on my website at sexwithemily.com. It's like it's like 80 sex acts, mm-hmm. things that you make. It could be cuddling, kissing, hugging, anal, um, spanking, biting, taking a bath together. And each one of you can fill it out. Is it a yes? Is it a no? Is it a maybe? And typically those things in that list are stuff that you actually, maybe you haven't tried or you've been thinking about. And it's a great 
um, it brings couples together. Like, okay, now we have a whole list of things we could do that are going to be new. I mean, it could just right. be adding a new bottle of lube, a new sex position, you know, just sometimes just to think about it, like, so you're not continuing to do the same thing again and again. What is, I noticed that you are talking about butt plugs a lot. <laughs> I am. So I mean, plugs. You're, what'd you say? I am talking, I am. I do. I talk about it all the time. I love a butt plug. But should people be using butt plugs? Even yeah, if people I mean, are not into the back door at all. Like I want, I want to hear why. I think that, well, okay. So here's the thing. The anus is, you know, we think butt stuff is very taboo. And I think yeah. a lot of it's just shy away from it. Oh yeah. In America. Yeah. Too. In America, especially. And, um, we have a, so we, there's a lot of taboo around it. That's one thing. And another thing is it gets really bad rap. So especially if you have a vulva, again, this is a heteronormative example, but for many, right we had a bad first time experience. A partner just right. slipped it in. It was the wrong hole. We were drunk. We weren't prepared. It wasn't done correctly. There's a very specific way yes, to I've have been, anal I've play. Been, I've been right? there. Exactly. And you're like, oh, well, I will never. Like, this is for yeah, exiting. Like, thanks, and I thanks for that was a UTI. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, it's just, there's so many bad experiences and a lot of misinformation. And so as a result of that, yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's, it can be painful and wrong. However, the good, the upside of it, and the reason why I talk about it a lot is just to give people permission to explore and to give them accurate information is that if you have a butt, which everybody does, everybody's assholes, not everybody is an asshole. Some people are assholes, but everybody has an asshole. There are so many great nerve endings in there that can feel wonderful when they're stimulated. And so, especially if you have a penis, you also have a prostate and the prostate prostate um, is an internal part of the, is inside about an inch and a half or two. It's kind of where the, the G spot is mm -hmm. um, in the anus though. Anyway, it's like this, you know, secret, amazing spot that lots of penis owners are like, no, that makes me, you know, that means that something about my sexual orientation, or it means, you know, it's going to say that, something about me. Sometimes you do kind of have to just slip in. <laughs> So, so the thing is, it's, it's um, because it can feel good because it's about, you know, another area in our body. When we're talking about what feels good for sex, just think about it like nerve endings. Our body has nerve endings all over it. We have primary erogenous zones. We have secondary erogenous zones. A primary erogenous zone would be like our vulva, our vagina, our penis, our balls, our, you know, prostate. Or anus, a secondary erogenous zone would be like your inner elbow or like um, neck, the, your nape or, of your okay. neck, right? Your feet. So with these primary ones, though, packed with nerve endings, right? So anything you do to those nerve endings, if you do them correctly, when I say correctly, let me just say this, you want to breathe, you want to go slow, and you want to use a lot of lube. Yeah. So if you do all of those things, it can feel amazing to stimulate. Right. And I'm not saying it's for everybody. Some people are like, I did everything you said. I didn't like it. Well, that's fine too. Cause there's, you know, it's not, not one size fits all. Everything on the menu. Yeah, exactly. So you get to like, kind of play with it, experiment. I just want to give people all the information and all the tools and without shame, shame, you know, shame or judgment or blame and just have people be like, like explore it. If you haven't like life is short. Right. You might as well. And I think have a prostate orgasm or <laughs> have an anal orgasm, figure it out. You know, it's, a new, it's a new way to play. It's novel. Well, I would love if you could, because I think many people don't know this, that if you're a vulva owner, you can have an inner and outer orgasm. There's a difference. Can mm -hmm. you please explain? Because when I was telling a girlfriend that too, they were like, what? And I'm like, haven't you ever just, I don't know, maybe I'm just a math becoming <laughs> like, or I am just a, a 
what's the word like pro masturbator I just know my body really well <laughs> that's so, amazing that you do that that you know I mean yeah it's it's kind of rare or people just think they're having the wrong it's rare that people know as much they do I'm telling you now that you're talking about no, it it's, but like, it's true even when I talk to some of my friends and they're like well I don't really masturbate I'm like what like how you know what I or I mean, even if you're in a relationship even if you're married even if you're whatever like it doesn't matter exactly Exactly. In fact, it's part of being sexually healthy. And it's one of my first, if people don't really know how to orgasm, or they've never had orgasm or they, you know, I always say like masturbation is your first stop, but your it's first stop is, 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 is sort of just getting to know the way around your body. Because if you don't know, how are you going to explain that yeah. to a partner? There's just, yeah. they're not mind readers. They're not yeah. body readers and they don't know. And then they might be doing what their last partner did. And then they just have no idea. And then I, I mean, I used to get resentful too, talking about pre-sex with Emily. I was like, how do they not know? Cause I assumed that I really did believe that men were shipped off to some secret school and that they knew, like I, I had this notion that somehow because everything about sex was always from a male perspective, that they would just like know how to please me and show right. up with all the tools. Turns out I realized now years later after <laughs> they have nothing and that nobody knows anything. How great. Nobody yeah. knows anything. So become the <laughs> best, your own best advocate. You know, yeah. Or usually, it's. I remember once one of the people I've had the best sex in my life, and I was like, "How did you learn how to eat pussy like that?" He's like, "Oh, my last girlfriend showed me." I was like, "Can I write her a letter?" You know, like or normally it's a man or a woman that's had to teach someone, right? No, that is true. That is true. You can have a former lover. That is great. That that kind of knows and that like taught them how. Yeah, that's good. But even then, sometimes what their last partner want you didn't want. But also eating, eating like going down on a vulva. Our penis is really a lot of the the information is just about like going slow, paying attention, you know, and there are, is, you know, obviously some technique using your fingers and your mouth and making sure it's right. wet and all that. But like, yeah, I mean, some people. Yeah, do you think it's bad lovers. if people watch porn and then try to do that? You know what? I don't. I think that porn is useful for, for many, many things. I am not anti-porn. I'm only anti-porn for people who believe that everything they see in porn is real and is transferable to every partner. But there's definitely some great moves in porn, definitely when it comes to like oral sex and stuff that you could like learn um, and going down on a vulva for sure. I think that maybe penis stuff less so because I think they show a lot of deep throating and I don't think that that is like a must that every if, you, if you're with a penis, you have to deep throat. Like I, I want people right. to know that's not the only way. And my problem with porn is when people just take it as, as, as gospel, like this is exactly how you do it. So right. I'm right. open to all of it as long as people just have enough information going in. Right. So right. we want to talk about the G area orgasm, the internal, the external, there's so much to cover here. But I know. Internal, We're going to be here all day. Squirting, we, are <laughs> gonna be here. we literally will be here all day. Um, but so then, so this happens when you get aroused. And then once you get aroused, then it's easier to go inside and find the G area because okay. these are all the nerve endings become, if you have like, you already have a um, an orgasm too. Sometimes you can have a clitoral orgasm really easily, or you're really, really aroused. Then it becomes engorged with blood, the entire um, clitoral nerve network. And so when that happens, the G area raises. And if you put a finger inside and you can see it, you can see it sort of swell. And when you start to like stroke that area, you'll realize that's when you're more likely to have an internal orgasm after you're already aroused externally. So we can call it the female prostate. We can call it the internal clitoral nerves and the prostate. They're all sort of connected. But I think if we want to find that area, we can talk about putting a finger or two inside and feeling a a rough area that kind of feels like a peach pit. Mm -hmm. And that's where you'll find 
the the G area. So as far as the internal external orgasm, I feel like they're kind of more of like a blended thing that if you get, if you have a clitoral one and then you go internally and have one, you might have, it feels the deeper or the orgasm that's internal feels a little bit like deeper, a little bit more full bodied. Yeah. It's full bodied. Yeah. It's less like external and a little bit more shallow. I think it's a clitoral orgasm and how you might describe an internal or blended orgasm, which again, sometimes it's hard to delineate. Like, was it blended? Was it internal? Was it, you know, so I think just, you know, I think, you know, when you have it, you'll experience it. Um, But I think it's more about just being mindful and experimenting and feeling like starting to become familiar with all of your body parts. And then you can call it whatever you want. Like, that's why I hate to get like locked down with all these like different things because it's all connected. So that's the internal external situation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the sex drive and the antidepressants, I listened to your show, which I thought was really interesting about the, you had mentioned Lexapro and and how many SSRIs can cause sexual side effects. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little about that of what Mm -hmm. you've- Yeah, there's common. I think that, um, what is it like 25? I'm going to say this wrong. I was at an event. I think it's like 25% of Americans are on it. Antidepressant, or maybe it was 25. I should say this 20. I'm not going to say it. I think it's something like that. I think it's probably higher. Higher than that. Yeah. I think it was like 25% of, I'm not even going to say it right now. Maybe an SSRI. Maybe like an SSRI. SSRI. They're on an SSRI. It is very, very common. We are very, we prescribe so many SSRI. I think I actually took a screen. I was like shocked by all this, this like mental health event yeah. no it's it's a it's a huge it's freaking crazy for people that it's a know, huge problem happens. we're over prescribed no one tells us that there are side effects or there are risks um to being on, on an antidepressant and so what i'm saying is that they might tell you there's a sexual side effect and so what that means is is that if you are an ssri antidepressant like lexapro prozac um zoloft that many people experience side effect, meaning they are unable to orgasm, takes them longer to orgasm. They don't, they feel a damper in their sex drive or they're not feeling aroused and turned on. And, and so, you know, I think I just want to draw people's attention to that. So they understand that we, this is when we really need to understand our own sexuality and our arousal process, right? You got arousal and desire are conflated often, but really desire is like the thinking that the desire to have sex and arousal is the physical um, representation of being aroused. So it's like a wetness, your nipples getting, you know, erect, your penis getting erect. That's the arousal. But however you look at it, it's like, what that it can hinder that process. And so understanding like first, like talking to your doctor about it and thinking like, is there another medication I could take? Could I, could I, could I lower the dose? Could I take it at different times of day when I know that I'm going to be sexually active? So this way I'll be able to have more orgasms or more pleasure. Like there's different ways you can hack it. And that, in that episode, we talk all about it, about like, we give a lot of, like we did, we did a lot of, a lot of research and a lot of like the latest you know, information about this, because I think so many more people, especially in the last few years are on antidepressant and they were not aware of the side effects. And so I think that also people are on antidepressants and they don't really, they don't necessarily need to be on them or there maybe it was, you know, I think that just taking a pill and not having therapy and not doing other modalities like breath work or meditation or exercise. I mean, there's so many other healing modalities right now, in addition to using an antidepressant um, can be really useful, but just taking a pill and maybe it'll help you alleviate some symptoms is just really a problem. And especially if it's impacting your sex life. So yeah, what else was I, what else? Yeah, it is. Well, no, it's true. I think that if you, you know, I can speak from my own experience where Zoloft, I have to be on Zoloft. If I'm not on Zoloft, I am not well. And so that is an SSRI and it, it can make you feel maybe a little less sexual or horny, but 
I take Wellbutrin with that, which like cuts it. Right. But Wellbutrin can make make you extra horny. So I can't take too much Wellbutrin or I'm like, okay, <laughs> I can't wear jeans today. So there's hope out there, people, that <laughs> if you are on an SSRI, sometimes it's adding something else. And I know a lot of people roll their eyes like, oh, so we have to take more medicine that are maybe a little anti-prescription. And But these things can be life-changing. And I think that's a really good point that Emily makes that it's not just one thing. You can't just take a pill and be done with it. You want to be in therapy or some kind of counseling and take care of your body, nutrition. There's other things that are always going on that can make a difference, you know? Exactly. Yes. Always going on. And that's a great point. A lot of people, it does help to add in Wellbutrin. Yeah. Or other, or there may be uh, other medicines or. There are other ones too now. And I think it's just important to like talk to your doctor about it and like, it's okay. Like this is, isn't it worth it? Right. I think that people think, oh, well, I'll just suffer. I'll just won't have sex or, you know, but we're talking, going back to our earlier conversation. It's like, it's going to impact your overall health and wellness. Like just because you don't want to have sex right now, like you're, you're, it is, it is an important thing to work on, to nurture, to prioritize. But I think people, like you said, they think about it like an afterthought where they don't think about it in the sense of going to the gym where you were saying like in one of your shows, okay, I, I've got to just put my shoes on, right. To get out the door. And then you feel better. But I don't, people don't think about their sexuality in that way. No, they don't. Pleasure. They don't think about pleasure. That, that, yeah, I think what I was saying is, and, and is that sometimes the hardest part of going to the gym is putting your shoes on and getting out the door. Cause once you get to the gym or you get in the class, you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. Or maybe it is bad for five minutes and you're like, I'm so <laughs> glad I did. And you never say like, why did I go to the gym? Why did I work out? It's just getting out the door and sex. If I could just, yeah, if everyone could just hear this, that it is, it's sort of the same thing. Like, okay, your partner's reaching for you again. You're like, oh no, I just want to finish watching TV. I want to go to sleep. Can we just finish our, you know, White Lotus, this episode, please. <laughs> I beg you. I beg you. Believe me, I've been there too. Okay. I'm there. I'm with all of you, but I know now enough to know that this episode is going to be here. I need to connect with my partner and it's going to be so good for both of us. We have sex. So I just get into it and then like, I'm in it and I'm so glad we did. We connected. It feels great, but I want to normalize that you're not always going to be into it. And in fact, the majority of time you might not be. You might have to do that little bit to get your arousal going, to get your drive, and then you're going to be into the party. (laughs) Glad you went. What what advice do you give to someone who maybe their partner is more sexual than them or vice versa? Like, how can you get yourself in the mood? It's a really good question. Um, Is that, and I'm going to say this, that in most relationships, in all, I'm going to say in all relationships, there's a high desire partner and a low desire partner. So there are mismatched sex drives in most relationships. This is, this is just very, very common, except for the beginning when you're in the honeymoon phase, you probably both want sex, but then it evens out. And so I would say the thing is couples got to talk about it. Just, just compromise. This isn't, I want to also say this, that it's not up to one person in the relationship to solve the sex life, to figure it out. So both of you figure out, have a talk about it and say, I realize that I want sex seven times a week. You want it two times a week. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, that's like a very easy compromise, right? Well, I'm not great with math. Maybe that's three and a half times a week. So maybe there's some like mutual masturbation going on, but it's not penetration. However you define it, but you say like, I know this is important. And then you kind of hack it. You're like, okay, so we know it's going to be about three, four days a week. So we both feel good. Well, what is the times of day? 
I'm not going to be great at night when we're already well into our show, but I do know Saturday mornings is key for me. I always really feel aroused on Saturday mornings, right? Mm -hmm. In the mornings, or we have to set the alarm a little bit earlier, or it's when the kids are taking, you know, a nap or when I'm back from a workout. So we have to learn to be our own best advocates for when. So this is what you've got to do. And you've got to remember this, like what is going to get me in the mood for many people It's scheduling sex. Like they know that this is which people I know are like, that is so not sexy. That's not hot. It should be so spontaneous. Well, yeah, I get it. But how's that going for you? Waiting for it to strike your, yeah. you know, And people's schedules. Work. So yeah, you got to schedule. So then if you know, you can look forward to it, that Friday night is when we're having sex. Well, then you can say, okay, well, what do I have to do to get myself in the mood for sex? Like for me, I know, like I definitely want to have worked out that day. That helps you with my mindset. It helps mm-hmm. you with blood flow, helps me feeling good and connected to my body. Um, I definitely want to have a break in between work. Like it's hard if my partner, like Friday night comes over and I'm still working here, my team's here and then right. going right into the date, like that's not going to work. Yeah. I want to have connected with my partner, have some great conversations. That's really important to me. I'm not going to go right into sex. I want to be touching and kissing and foreplay is important. So, you know, if it's really cold, like if I go to my partner's house and it's freezing, it's like no way like we have to turn the fireplace on it has to be warm. like there's just a lot that has to happen because this is the things that shut down our desire so the more we can look at like when was i the most turned on what were all the things that were happening around it and when was i no when was it never happening and then look at those things and then really to answer your question what couples do is they start to have a really a much clearer understanding of when they're ready for sex and when they're not and how do they create a relationship that is supportive of both of their sexual, their arousal runways. Like what do they need? Yeah. For me, a bath, like always is how, cause it's relaxing. I think also I can only speak from myself or women that maybe are, you know, in charge of their work career. Like I I have to get in really into my femininity side. Like it just Mm -hmm. really helps like music and oils and like get in the bath or dance like you're saying body I think that really is helpful for me yeah absolutely light a candle you think about yeah, your senses like what makes you feel yeah what makes you feel the most like in playing like a playlist sound yeah all that same yeah exactly I do your think environment for women you have to you have to feel sexy to want sex that's just absolutely and yeah. a lot of us don't yeah we walk around all day like we're in our sweats or working from home <laughs> yeah. and we're like I'm not sexy but we have to keep our own pilot light lit and we are responsible for our own pleasure. It's no, not it's our partner's true. responsibility. So like, this is like work we have to all do, but it's like the best, The I think it's some of the most important work and knowledge we can gain in our lifetime. No, sure. absolutely. I couldn't be like, I'm an avid horse rider. I couldn't be like, sorry, I'm covered in manure. Let me like come <laughs> over and get it on. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, before we get into the five questions, to me, this is sad where I keep hearing about, and I feel like it really relates to mental health. Teens aren't having sex these days, it seems. Yeah, there's been a lot of lot of studies that have shown that teens are not having sex. They're just on the phone. I, I mean, I can think of, I can't even say who, but young women I know who I'm like, oh, I don't think they've had sex. And I think of when I was their age or teens are like, we were all having sex. We were all having sex. Is what we talked about, right? We were all like, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, like, At a certain I, age. Yeah. And so I don't, don't you think this is detrimental to people's I do. Like, bodies or development or how can we, how can they get out? How can teens or young adults get out of that mode? I mean, it's bad for even depression, the suicide, all of that. And like, or what can parents say to their kids? Obviously 
it's unrealistic, I guess, for parents to be like, you should go have sex. But I don't know, maybe that's what they need to do. I just feel like no one is in their body. They're not in their bodies. They're on their phones. They're They're really on their phones. They're externally focused. And I think that if we started to prioritize sex education in America and in in a lot of countries, that we would start to understand our own process of of being sexual, being aroused, being turned on, naming our body parts. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be like, I think that we actually have shut down desire and arousal. I think that maybe it didn't feel safe for a lot of young people. Um, Maybe they're afraid they'd be like shamed or, you know, there's just a lot of accurate information. And I think that it feels um, a lot less like safe right now to be sexual yeah. because of misinformation. Maybe they're afraid that it's going to like show up on, you know, they're going to be shamed on TikTok or like their friends are going to find out or there's that the stakes are a lot higher. Maybe the other hearing is like more fear-based around like, you know, pregnancy. And, and I don't know, I think it's like a crisis of connection. I really think that we're just on our, no, you're right. Phones. It's like the pendulum has swung so far where if I dare say it, it does even seem like since the Me Too movement or all this stuff where you can't even compliment someone or say, oh, you look sexy or that's so hot, where people are so easily, I think, offended, where maybe even women growing up or girls in this day and age are feeling they just want to hide, right? Because that's what they've that's what they've grown up to see. Like this is not good. Right. Yeah. I think I think so. Or it's changed. Especially in LA. Like, I don't know. I just see that where I even these, even, even my um, friends' daughters, or that I see, it's like everything's offensive that I say. <laughs> really? Like, wow. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm a very sexual person. So I'm always making, and I just find that I think that's part of it where people feel they can't voice maybe what they want to ask or what they want to, you know, or men or penis owners are afraid or vice versa. All owners to ask people out, right? They're just afraid of of everyone. There's a lot of fear, right? And there so is there's a lot, lot of fear and a there's lot a- of shutting down. I think there's a lot of shutting down. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of misinformation. I think that I don't, I I actually don't know. I mean, what, I I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I think it's fear. I think it's misinformation. I think there's not a lot of great examples of, of having sex either of of how to do it in a healthy way. I think we're coming off of this whole hookup culture thing, which was a really big trend for many, many years. I remember, I think it was about 10 years ago. There was like four to five books that came out in one year about hookup. It had hookup in the title, like hookup this, hookup culture. It was a whole thing. But I think hookup culture is over right now. It's kind of dead. It was, yeah, like booty call, like booty call, like 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 kids going to college and just getting wasted and having sex and not caring about the repercussions. Like people aren't dating, people aren't committing, they're not in relationships. They're just having casual sex. But that casual sex, and people thought that that meant that we are much more sexual or much more in touch. Mm -hmm. It means that yes, there's more sex happening, but it is not pleasurable sex. Vulva owners are not having orgasms. They're literally blacking out because they don't want to catch feels and they just want to have sex with as many people as possible so they're not virgins. Well, now I think we're, we're the is swinging away from that going, okay, well, I don't want to do that. Right. You know, now I want to just be really, really safe. I want to be really careful. I want to make sure it's with someone that I love and that I, I connect with or that I like. But at the same time, we're also not teaching about pleasure. We're not teaching vulva owners to take a mirror between their legs and take a look at their vulva so they understand how to give themselves an orgasm, what feels good to them. So they can, when they're with a partner, they can explain it. But right now they're not, they're not feeling equipped. They're just hearing like, that's a bad thing to do. And so now I'm not going to do it. But if we could lace all these conversations with a conversation about pleasure and being our own best advocates, you know, for our own pleasure and our own needs, then I think that we might see people starting to have sex and have these conversations. But 
you know, we're not there yet. We're trying. Yeah. Maybe it is about getting a better sexual education in schools, because I think also, you know, men or penis owners, they're afraid, right? I think they are post me too. I think there's a lot more fear. Parents are like, don't treat a woman like this, which I hope, I hope that's, I hope that there, there might be some fear. Yeah. We're not saying me too is it's, I'm not saying at all that it's, it was a bad thing, but it's just like with anything where it kind of just got a little extreme. It's extreme. So maybe now we need to, we need to just correct with accurate, accurate information, which is why I've been focusing a lot more. And I've done some great shows about how to talk to your kids about sex and masturbation, a lot of podcasts about that too, that everyone can check out. Um, that has really kind of give parents the tools because they think, you know, oh God, I can't talk to my kid about masturbation. It's like, well, if not you, who, like, if not you, you porn. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, that's, it's true. I just, I, whenever I hear that, I'm just like, that's really makes me sad and and but it's true it, it that 10 years ago yes hookup culture maybe it doesn't mean that the sex was amazing but i think at least people were having experiences to then know what do they like right exactly so, exactly so so i think you're right i think we gotta you know continue to have these conversations exactly i make my i make my friends kids and my nieces talk about to me about it all the time even if they don't want to i'm like how's it going <laughs> you have to it's not a one-time conversation you keep talking about it. you keep asking questions you keep providing information and you show that you are sexual and that you know it's a healthy space and you right. just gotta, that's how you start just because it's just it's there's i guess the word really is shame that there's become mm-hmm. shame around it a lot of that shame. that's not right and mm-hmm. i think that's really bad yeah. for mental health yeah, I call them the pleasure thieves and that's stress, trauma, and shame. And these are all the things that are stealing that. our pleasure. Yeah. You need some puppets that are the pleasure <laughs> thieves. <laughs> exactly. No, I know. I have pleasure thieves and they are stealing your pleasure every single day. So it's true. Oh, okay. So we always end with these five questions that are it's kind of like the rapid five. Okay. What do you do for a mental break? Besides masturbate. <laughs> right. Right. Besides masturbate. Oh shoot. No, I, I would say a mental break. I do breath work. I have a breath work app. I just do, I did it before the show, three minutes before talking to you today. I do three oh. to five minutes of breath work. I go for a walk with my dog. Those are the things I do just to kind of get out of my head. Yeah. Outside. Yeah. When is the last time you cried? Um, today, <laughs> which is rare because I'm actually not a big crier, but I did cry really? today. Mm-hmm. That's well, I love hearing that you cried today because sometimes I ask people that they're like, hmm, four months ago. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's I cried today. I was frustrated about some stuff. So I did cry today. What are you currently reading? I feel like you're probably a big reader. Oh my God. Yeah. Right now I am reading um The Hormone Fix by Aviva. I think it's the Hormone Fix by Aviva Ram. Oh, hormones. Okay. Yeah, it's really, really good book about that's awesome hormone i think hormones is another emerging place where i think yes. we're going to see a lot more about women's health in 2023 we're also going to be learning a lot more about hormones and realizing that a lot of the challenges that we think we have actually have to do with our hormones and our dysregulated yeah. hormones because of the birth control pill because of all the things that we've done in our lives that have dysregulated that we got to get them back into shape and we can do that with diet with hormone replacement with getting you know tested to certain kinds of no, exercises it's, true. Yeah. it's really true it's it can be sometimes just the smallest thing that can make a big difference too, whether yes. hormones, therapy, or medicine. What is the best and worst advice you've been given? In my life? Oh God. <laughs> so much bad advice. Like how much time do we have? Okay, the, I know, the ba- I have to. <laughs> oh my God, the best advice, and this is so universal, is, and this is not even like a, spe- this is less specific than you might want, but it's like, trust your intuition, trust your gut. 
I have to remind myself that of every single day. And I would just say the worst advice is when I went against my gut, when I went against my intuition and I went against, when I went against what I, what I really believed. And that's a practice that I'm trying to hone every single day. Um, Okay. Yeah. But I would say, probably that's a really good question because I'm trying to think, is there like something like specific to that? That's not great, but. No, I mean, what if sometimes the worst advice can be the best advice where if someone's like, oh, you'll never, you'll never be a sex therapist or, you know what I mean? Oh, I got all that. No, I got all that. Oh yeah. Like the best, I would say that the best advice was like, follow your dreams and you can do anything. And the worst advice is, yeah. Or people are like, what are you doing? That's insane. No one's going to talk about sex and no one knows what a podcast is. And, and you really Meanwhile, should. You're like, we're way ahead of the trends <laughs> with the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask you like, you can give us all your handles. So, okay. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. And thank you to Emily for joining us. Where can our listeners thank find you? Thank you for having me, Katie. Yes. I really appreciate it. This is a really fun chat. People can find me at Sex with Emily everywhere. My website is sexwithemily.com. Uh, all my social media, Sex with Emily, Instagram, um, t- uh, TikTok, all the places. My podcast comes out two times a week, wherever you listen to podcasts. So check that out. That's awesome. All right. Well, that's all, folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better. How about you? We can be found on Apple and Spotify and wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.